Good morning, and welcome to the Blazing Laser Show. I am Laser Weiss, your host, and uh, with me we have a special guest today. I'm really excited to have Mr. Robert Bilderback, um, who uh, was uh, went viral because he was featured on the Libs of TikTok channel, which um, if you're not following it, you probably should be. Um, when he went to his uh, school board meeting and he gave them a solid piece of his mind, something I appreciated. Um, and I'm going to play this video. And after I play it, you know, and before I, right before I jump in with Robert, I do want to give just a little setup as to why I feel this is so important and to what I want to accomplish. And then, uh, and then you know, we're going to dive right in. So first, this is, this is the video that really caught my attention, and I think it's really important. And if you haven't seen it before, again, I don't know what you're doing with your life if you're not following this. Uh, this is the best thing on Twitter to follow. If, not, if no other reason to have this app, this is why. And uh, here we go. This is Robert at school board meeting in his home county in Louisiana. Why is it inappropriate for people to dress in business attire? I've done it for every one of my jobs. I don't like it at times. It takes time to put on a suit, you know, as you all know, and a tie and get dressed. There's times you don't do it, but there's times things are appropriate because school is to prepare kids for the future. And we're preparing kids to learn about ba the basic math, English, science, history. Speaking of which, we need to improve our history, as some of us all know. You know, let's start working on that. But let's let's stop indoctrinating children and this teacher what really made up my mind was when I went through their social media and I saw that they said we're weaponizing the rainbow I'm dressing this way because I can't come out so I want a conversation started with these children there's a plan in place I have nothing against that I have nothing against people doing what they want to do in their own lives that is between them and wh whatever they got going on what I care about is when people indoctrinate the children, because that is up to the parents and the parents alone. Thank you. Now, I don't know, by the way, I'm not sure if my audio feed goes through. Do you, can you hear it when I was playing it on my end? No, I can't but, hear it. That's fine, but I'm sure you know what it says. Um, yeah. But in any case, um, this was like a really dense video. There was so much going on in there, and I really want to try and unpack some of it, because I think there's a lot, like uh, I told you right before we started, I've been a teacher for over a decade, um, and I've taught a variety of subjects, uh, besides for math, which I'm terrible at, but <laughs> I've taught history, uh, I've taught science, I'm currently teaching science in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, um, and I've taught um, you know, U.S. politics and government, so there's so many of uh, topics that I've taught in schools, and uh, one of the things that I, I, I mentioned that frustrates me so much is when I see a lack of professionalism. You know, I teach uh, in a small private school right now. I actually am not in the public school system. And it's not to my benefit because I'm getting paid around the same amount as a public school teacher, except less because I don't get benefits that are as good. Public school teachers get way, way better benefits than me. So it's, it's, it's not to my uh, benefit that I'm actually doing that. Um, but that's... That, that was my choice. That was what I wanted to do. Um, and where I teach now, professionalism is such a major demand. Uh, if I would not act in the most professional manner, they would, they would fire me in a heartbeat. And in addition, even though I'm a religious Orthodox Jew and I teach in a private school that is affiliated with Orthodox religious Judaism, they still do not want me to discuss any ideology or religion during science class. That's not, that's not the appropriate time for it. Um, so that's something that also speaks to me. And in addition, there's something else I do want to talk about. There's a couple other things I want to get into. And, and you know, like I said, we'll start from the beginning. We'll take it from the top. And the other two things are, one of the reasons I got out of the public school, uh, I got out of that whole environment, uh, my mother was a public school teacher for uh, 25 years. And she used, I saw during her career how she felt there was this, really intense descent from, I don't know what it was, I don't want to call it greatness, but from whatever it was where the, the ultimate pinnacle was how great of a teacher are you? That was the only thing that mattered. And that was the most important thing. Uh, and she felt that that slowly began to take a backseat over her time there to other things that were considered just as important. That's one thing. I think there's a, a, a crisis in America in the public school system, which I want to discuss. And the final thing is, uh, you know, towards the end, where we talk about what people are doing in their private lives um, versus what they're going to do in a professional environment, 
Um, and how much, how much can a person really separate the two? Like, at the end of the day, if, if certain types of behaviors are so defining, is it possible to really keep your private and public life separate? Okay. And, I mean, it's just a final note. Why have a conversation with normal people who are not famous? I'm not famous. I'm, and, you know, even if I'll be one day, I hope I'll never lose the feeling of not. I'm just a regular person. I'm a teacher. Uh, my wife's a nurse. Um, I think that in every civilization, as things reach sort of the apex, the elite class, the ruling class, this is something as a history teacher that I've taught, loses contact with the people on the bottom tiers of society. And I don't mean by bottom tiers, I don't mean the people living in the slums. I mean ordinary normal citizens who their policies are affecting. When things are really going well, the civilization is established. We are prosperous. We live in a land of, of plenty, in a land of good. The people at the top stop caring. They just think like it's great. Let, let the peons and the serfs have their lives as long as we get to live on top. And when they lose contact, what's left to fill that void? Um, and so today we have worship of celebrities and worship of famous people and, and uh, even worship of politicians to some extent. And these people are detached from our reality. The reality of like the ordinary upper or lower middle class American who's just trying to live, pay their bills and do their job is so detached from them. Um, and the more I hear them talk, and this is not a one-side thing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a conservative. I'm not going to pretend I'm not. And yet I see the same thing with conservative politicians. I don't think that they really understand the struggles of everyday Americans. Um, they're just, they're, their lives are too different. And so I think it's so important to talk. And, and we've seen this year, I think Robert exemplifies this, a wave of uprising in America of ordinary citizens going to school board meetings getting politically active. And I think that's why, because people are starting to realize government's not going to take care of me. So Robert, I want to bring you in. First things first, and this is where I want to start. Um, have you ever gone to a school board meeting before, or was this your first experience doing that? I have gone to school board meetings before. Um, it wasn't a common thing. You know, uh, in Caddo Parish, in Louisiana, our counties are called parishes. Um, in Caddo Parish, our schools are some of the worst schools in the nation especially our public schools. Um, so I've been there a few times. And then when the uh, Corona lockdowns and the mask mandates were going on, we also went there to speak as well, because they were requiring some of these special needs children to wear masks and uh, we're denying their medical exemptions that were signed by doctors. So I've, I've been a few times. I'm, I'm a familiar face. Right. And uh, it's really cool, though. But even then, like you're saying, the last few years, would you have imagined 10 years ago, like, never, right? I feel like so many people who are showing up at these things, even in my life, by the way, like I'm a teacher, PTAs, I feel like so many more parents show up now to PTA than used to. It used to be like, eh, only, the, only the few parents who were like really like the helicopter parents, you know, they would show up. Most parents didn't even bother coming. It's like, yeah, my kid goes to school, he comes home at night, whatever. Um, so... If, I wonder, if do you think it was the mask thing that made you sort of hey, say, hey, I need to get more involved? What was the trigger for you that made you say, you know what, I, I need to go to these meetings. I need to be heard. Well, you know, the truth is I've always been a little involved in politics. Um, you know, I've been a volunteer for campaigns since I think 2012. And so I just didn't really know where to apply myself. But then during uh, the pandemic, a lot of these parents were getting upset because their special needs children were being, you know, in their eyes, tortured in these schools. Um, they were having these things constantly touching their face. And I can't explain what it does to these kids because it's not, it, it's never happened to me, but apparently, you know, it causes them a lot of mental turmoil while they're trying to do their learning. And the, the, our state made an exemption for, for uh, medical exemptions. We also have religious exemptions. And we're one of the few states that also have philosophical exemptions. But all of our state entities were denying every single one of those. So these parents went to a uh, ESSE, which is basically our state school board meeting. And I went there and we just basically all stuck together. And we had such a great impact there that, We've just kept going. 
And then uh, we came to Caddo Parish and told them that, you know, they tried keeping the masks even after the governor had lifted his order. And uh, we said, you know, enough's enough. And some of the parents even filed a lawsuit. And within a week, two weeks time, they pulled the mask mandate and let all the children have it. It's so interesting because this type of multi-layer bureaucracy, it so lends itself to this ridiculous, like the right hand doesn't know what the left is doing. Like this person made a law, but then this entity doesn't follow it and who's exempt and who's not. It's it's so funny. You know, you, you can see this when you're dealing with large companies. I have so many times experiences like I'll call, you know, Amazon and I'll speak to one representative and they'll tell me one thing, you know, and then you hang up and call someone else and they'll tell you, you know, who told you that? That's not our company policy. And, you know, you apply this at a governmental scale. It's It's frustrating, but not surprising. Um, it's one of those things that makes you think like all the people who ask for things like government run healthcare, how much involvement have they, have they had with, with dealing with government operatives, you know, have they, have they ever experienced the pain and frustration? Yeah. As, as we speak, I'm sitting in the conference room of a doctor's office. <laughs> like they'll, they'll tell you all about how governments ruin healthcare. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was going to ask you. You know, you mentioned at the board meeting that you got dressed up um, in a professional attire. If you don't mind sharing, what is it that you do? Well, now you know, I'm just a student. Um, I graduated this last December, and I'll take the LSAT at the end of April and start applying to law schools. And until then, man, you know, I'm just kind of doing here and there things. Um, before that, I've sold cars, I've served tables, I bartended. But, did security at nightclubs, um, did some air duct. You know, I've kind of done a little bit of air, everything. Um, it, it, that's the, you know, it's so funny. Yeah. This is the classic American. It's, it's, it's so weird to me. I heard this, um, I don't know if you ever heard of the uh, Rising podcast with Sagar and Jetty and Crystal uh, Ball. So they're, they're yeah. these two pundits and they, they have this um, podcast and the, the whole thing is supposed to be that they're the, the, conser- the conservative, the super middle of the road conservative and super middle of the road liberal. Um, but they're both from very wealthy backgrounds and they're both hired by a multi-billion you know, dollar company and they had this podcast. And I, I was once listening to them talking about the American dream and how what the American dream is, is the, if you work hard, you'll, you'll, you're guaranteed a good life in America. And I remember thinking, like, that is so disconnected from reality. The American dream is freedom. Freedom means if you work hard, maybe you'll have a chance of success, maybe not. But the government won't come and take it away from you. Like, I don't know where this notion came from, that the American dream is that you just, it's coming to you. It's coming to you. No, it's not. What the? So this is, the American dream is, yeah, I, I, I've been working hard and, and trying hard and, Throwing myself at success and uh, and hoping that it's going to come if I if I push myself, but it's my it's my choice and it's my life, and I love hearing that kind of thing because that's that's very American. It sometimes like it shakes me, you know. I think like I got married. I don't know. I I, I guess you're you're are you married? Do you have kids? No. No. Do you have kids in the school system? No. But you went there as a concerned citizen anyway. That actually yeah. is even more impressive to me. Um, but you know, I'm married. Uh, for 15 years now, and I remember at the beginning of my marriage when we were we would sit at the kitchen table, and my wife would start crying because we didn't know how we were going to make rent. And I just like so many times I hear people talking about, you know, wouldn't you want a social safety net? No, nope, <laughs> just, no, I don't want a social safety net. Well, wouldn't you have? No, I don't care. I would rather not have that benefit. So to me, this stuff uh, speaks volumes, and it, it's interesting. I, you're right. I don't really understand the struggle of kids who have uh, uh, these types of special needs. But I guess to a limited extent, when I was single and younger, I, I had a stint working as a counselor in a special needs facility to make some extra cash. Um, I actually needed money for dating. <laughs> so I used to work and I would work with, uh, with high-functioning uh, adults. And I remember that sensory issues specifically were a huge deal for them. Like some of them, you had to be really careful around them, you know, both auditorily and, and, and with touch stuff, they were extremely sensitive. So I can totally, uh, you know, believe, even if I can't 
empathize to it. You know, I'm not um, mentally disabled, thank God, but I can totally relate to the idea that there's definitely something that's extremely difficult for them to deal with. Um, in, in, a, in a broader sense, I'm not sure when this is going to get resolved, but this is something I wanted to get to. I think the public school system is sort of in a, in a crisis moment, in a crisis of faith moment in this country anyways, because what exactly does this archaic establishment have to offer? We've uh, Everything in America has advanced so much. I, 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 I don't want to hear what you're going to say because you're, you're involved in that world, and I sort of removed myself from it. Everything in America has advanced so much. You know, when my dad was once paying bills through the mail, I don't even bother checking my mail because everything is online. Um, every system has changed. The way we bank has changed. The way we drive is changing. In a few years from now, most people might have autopilot in their car. And if not in a few years, in 15 to 20 years, I think that's almost a guarantee. Um, and everything is changing, changing, changing. And yet, so many people in this country are willing to fight for public schools to not change. Public schools have been around since the 1800s, earlier, I don't even know since when, you know, when you had a little brick house with the one school teacher teaching, you know, 20 kids from the town and they were all different ages. That was how public school started. And they've definitely advanced a lot since then, but it feels like in the last who knows how many years there's been this huge stagnation. Not much has been happening to the benefit of students, maybe to the benefit of administrators and teachers, but to the benefit of students, there hasn't been a lot, and we see that in the results. Public school grades in most communities are not going up. They're trending downward. There are exceptions. You might find that one exceptional school that got and brought in this crazy principal who turned everything around, but those are the um, exceptions. The majority of public schools have been trending downward for decades, and when you say to people things like, maybe we should consider totally overhauling, like maybe eliminate public schools and open it up to the free market. Every parent gets the equivalent tuition paid uh, as, a, as a voucher that can only be spent towards their children's tuition in an accredited institution, but let private entities open, open their own schools. And people just go nuts at you, like you're some kind of like a monster. Um, I actually have a plan like that that a lot of people have seemed to like, except for legislators in our state. Yeah, and but, it is, it's wild. And mm -hmm. so I, I think one of the biggest problems, and I'm so curious what you have, because you said something about, you mentioned how we need to improve history, we need to improve science. I wonder what the goal is. So much of what I learned in high school um, specifically math, which I passed, even though I don't like teaching it and I'm not, I don't consider myself great at it. It was such a waste of time. I've never used algebra once. I've never used geometry once. I've never needed to know physics or trig. And most of my friends who are very successful have never needed that, those skills ever once in their lives. You know, I have friends who work in, in uh, who, who are bankers. I have friends who are lawyers. I have friends who are doctors. Maybe they needed some of one subject, like even my friend who's a doctor now who graduated, he said all the chemistry he needed, he actually learned in college. And the stuff in high school, he never paid attention to. <laughs> and, and, he, and he's at the top of his class. So what are we doing? And the same thing is true with a lot of uh, other topics. You know, a lot of science that's taught is so useless, like earth science. Is it really important to spend a year? And what ends up happening is because there's not really enough earth science, again, if you have an ideologically motivated teacher, they end up talking about climate change a lot. Because, like, what, do you really need to know the difference between igneous rock and the different types, shapes of clouds? And what, what is all the point of this? Um, and so what we've been seeing in the public school system is this sort of desire to, to try and define themselves. Like, what are we? And unfortunately for a lot of people, what the answer is, well, we are actually an institution of training the next generation to what are they going to be? Like, we have to shape them, right? And this is, I think, where this dangerous blurring of lines that you were referring to, what is the parent's job and what's the school's job? Is, am I sending my kid to school to learn to be a moral human being? Is that what I want? Or, or what do I want, right? Correct. So I really, I'm curious to hear like what you think the, the school, what is the job of a school? Well, to me, so I think if you're going to say what should the job of the school be, the job of the school should be to teach children 
subjects, but they should teach children, like you said, these subjects in a way that they can apply them in the future. Because I agree with you, a lot of what we learn in high school and elementary school, middle school is just wasted time. Uh, most of what I've learned, I learned either from my parents or from college. Um, but, you know, you go to high school and you were just saying, you know, when am I ever going to use algebra? When am I going to use this? And I even said that in college. It wasn't until I stopped college the first time and went out and did some machining work, you know, doing some lays and milling where I actually learned that I need some geometry and I need to learn some algebra and all this. And I went back, but I was able to learn it in that quick because it, I was able to apply it to something. It was interesting. And that's one thing we need to do is start teaching these children, not you need to learn this because it's going to be on a test, but as far as earth science, you know, here's this type of fish. I'm not a science guy. I just uh, finished my last semester and had to take an earth science and was not looking forward to it. I said, why on earth am I taking this? And my teacher did it in such a, it was so good at it that at the end of it, I was glad I was there. I didn't learn much, but he was able to teach me something because he was able to take the things we were learning and apply them to the economic chain. He was able to tie them into beauty products. You know, anything that this thing tied into in our normal life, he was able to tie it, and that made it interesting. It was no longer this alien creature you've never seen before. Um, and I think that's a big, a big way to go. Um, as far as what they're doing, I think what the... I, this is, you know, kind of going down a rabbit hole. But what I think they're doing is they're they're building a generation of dependent people and dependent on who or what. I don't know exactly. Um, but, you know, I look at it when I went to school, if you got upset by something, it was toughen up. Sticks and stones break your bones. Words can't hurt you. And now, you know, you you say something to somebody and you'll get treated worse than if you hit them with the sticks and the stones. Right. And, and by the way, just to point out, I think it's one of the reasons why it takes a lot of courage to to step forward because you never know when a video of you saying something is going to wind up on the internet, and who knows if people will be like, "This guy's a Nazi." <laughs> well, so a funny story about that, you know, as as involved in politics as I've been, I've always tried to avoid the cameras, and so when we went to Baton Rouge to that Bessie meeting, I actually was the first one in the room. And got up and moved because the cameras were setting up around me. And my big fear was, you know, I don't want to be a national headlines. I don't want all the negative attention that comes along with it. And by the end of the day, I had said something and ended up on national headlines. <laughs> got all the hate and stuff that came along with it. But, you know, I sat there and, you know, I was regretting what I did. And the very next day, all the support and love just completely washed that away. And it was like, man, this is probably what I'm meant to be doing, you know, because I did everything I could do to avoid this. And the same things at the school board meeting. You know how many Caddo Parish school boards meetings have grabbed national attention? I've spoken at a few. I don't know of a single one. And That's... so, you know, I went there and a lot of parents were telling me you know, that they wanted to speak and they're scared not only of the national attention, but even here locally. These people are bullies. And so, you know, I said, look, man, I'll speak. They can't do anything to me. And so, you know, I'll speak in your place. And next thing I know, I'm on libs of TikTok and I didn't even have a Twitter. I literally downloaded it because everyone was tagging me in this Twitter feed. And so, yeah, I mean, so it's so I, interesting. I, I think it's worthwhile for a second to just recognize also the insanity of this toxic culture that's going on. One thing I see all the time, I hate when people do this, is there's something that means one thing, but it becomes viewed very negatively. And so politicians or, or people randomly will just call something that. So like, for instance, let's say everybody hates corn. And so you'll have a politician and they'll say like, look at this, it's right wing corn. And like, what? It's mm -hmm. nothing to do. You know, cancel culture. I hate the phrase because it's become, everything becomes so diluted. But I think it's important to recognize what it, what it was. Uh, is people have just lost their minds. The essential idea behind it was that there are people who say things and that have no relevance to the job they're doing. For example, you might have a guy show up at a board meeting and say, I don't want a teacher in the classroom talking about uh, gender ideology. And then somebody will call the construction company he works for and say, do you know what this guy said? 
right? And the reason we call that cancel culture is because his opinions, whether you agree with them or not, on what teachers should be doing in the classroom, has no relevance to how well he can perform his job of driving a tractor or using a lathe or doing it. Those, those things are, have no relevance. Um, but you're saying that he's a bad person and therefore it's to hire him associates you with the badness that emanates from him. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what we call cancel culture as opposed to, and I think it's important to make this distinction, especially because this is the topic we're talking about. If a teacher says, this is what I'm going to do in the classroom, that's extremely directly applying to the job that they're doing. And when you say, right, if you're going to do this in the classroom, I don't want you in the classroom. And people are like, I thought you're against cancel culture. That, that's so ridiculous. That's not the teacher saying, when I go you know, out in public, this is how I behave. They're saying they're doing it in the classroom. That's, not, that's their job. I'm making a comment on their job performance. It's not cancel culture. And, and uh, I hate when people conflate these things and, and they pretend that it's the same thing because they know that the phrase is, is viewed so negatively. It's like, look at that guy eating a hamburger. You know, I'm against meat. That guy eating a hamburger, that's cancel culture. No, no, it's not. Yes, it is. And you know how bad can, you can call anything, anything. Um, but it's just a lie. Uh, so it's not cancel. If a teacher says, I'm going to walk into a classroom with an agenda, then that's not cancel culture to say that, that the agenda is not appropriate in the classroom. You know, I want to be clear on that. Well, and to add to that as well, you know, part of cancel culture, I'm someone that's been attacked on this, on that front before. Um, I used to work at a bar and luckily my boss agreed with me on most fronts, but um, I was very public in my opinion and I had said something and a bunch of people ended up calling up the bar and saying, hey, as long as he works here, we're not going to, we're not coming there anymore. And he basically said, look, he's a good employee. I'll straighten him out. Like, hold on. And he basically said, look, man, you're in, you're in a business where we cater to these kind of people. You can't be making our dollars angry and chase them out the door. And that's a fair point. But at the same time, I also realized I want to be in the public eye. So this isn't the job for me. And this, this teacher, she wants to be in the public eye. Otherwise she wouldn't be on TikTok doing these things. You know, I was telling one of my friends the other day, that if she just went to work with the rainbow hair and the weird slippers and the weird dress and all of that, people would probably just think it's a normal music teacher. They're known for dressing kind of eccentric, you know, and, but it was, it was her going on TikTok and saying, I'm doing this cause I can't come out as being trans or being gay or whatever. And I'm doing this to spark a conversation. She's the one who said, I'm doing this as a form of combating the system, not us. And we're also, not calling for her to be fired. You know, if she's a good music teacher, like I said, our schools suffer enough as they are. We need all the good teachers we can have. We just don't want her pushing her personal beliefs on children in music class. That's all we're asking. Right. And me personally, if she wants to dress that way, that's per. I don't really have an issue with it. I just want you to leave the reasoning behind it out of the classroom. Right. And, and I guess that's where the, the other thing I wanted to, you know, talk about is I don't know why it became this thing where you know I, I don't I don't want to even call it identity politics but for some reason with many people something about them becomes so important to them that they have to display it everywhere so for me I'm a teacher I have a home life I have a wife I have kids and who I am as a teacher is not the same person. You know, I guess in a, in a weird sense, people put on many masks, right? If I'm an entertainer and I walk onto stage, that's not me. That's, that's the entertainer version of me, right? You know, I, I just as a funny example, um, there was a, a TV show called The Office, right? I'm sure you've probably heard of it. It's rather famous. Um, and there was a, one of the characters was named Dwight Schrute. I had this friend who was a crazy mega office fan. And I don't even know the name of the actor who plays him. Um, and I'm, I've never been that, I'm not, I'm not into celebrities or even TV or that much, that, that type of thing. But my friend was super, super into the office. And I remember him telling me once how he's like, man, oh, Rain Wilson. I remember him telling it to me. He's like, man, I watched an interview with Rain Wilson and it ruined the office for me. And I'm like, 
Why? He's like, because he's nothing like Dwight Schrute. I'm like, what? I'm like, what did you think? Right? So, but in, in that sense, like, when I walk into the classroom, I'm Mr. Weiss, the teacher. I'm, I'm here to teach, and I'm putting on my teaching face. And I'm not, I don't care that I have, like, a, a wife or a kids and a life. Those, those things aren't relevant here. But it, it does seem interesting to me that for so many people, it's like, this is who I am and who I identify as. And if I put that aside to go and walk into the classroom without all of that, then that's like, uh, that's offensive to me. And that's hurtful to me. I, I can't leave myself at the door. And I'm not sure, what do you think is happening <laughs> there? Well, so you, you hit on another point that I thought of yesterday when I was talking to someone about this is, you know, like you said, you have a wife and kids, family, friends, all of that. All of those people know who you are and you know who they are. And that satisfies you for your personal life. You don't have this need to go and shout it to children, you know. But for some reason, and, and this reason actually kind of baffles me, because around here we have a pretty strong and supportive LGBTQ community. And, um, you know, and I'm friends with many of them. And many of them don't have to go and tell their business to children. And they even called this kind of weird behavior. And so I said, you know, what kind of an emotionally unstable person has to go and proclaim their politics, their sexuality, their whatever, to innocent elementary age children. I mean, that's a mentally unstable person. And now I'm starting to question whether the person needs to be teaching. I mean, that's what what happens one day when they snap. You know, I mean, there's there's elements that go into considering what goes on with mentally unstable people. And and I'm not a professional in that field. I'm not saying she is. I'm just saying how it appears to me because that's just odd behavior. Right, because like, why can't you be perfect? Why can't you just leave, leave it all behind? Like, leave it yeah. outside, and you're here now. This is your, this is your put on your game face. You know, it's like, I don't know. It, you know, the same thing. It, it, this is so so frustrating because it's the same conversation by sports. Also, um, I I hated that whole thing. You know, I I didn't feel I hate to to say this. I don't want to get too political. Be I don't know if you're a Trump fan or not. I, I hated the way Trump handled the whole uh, Colin Kaepernick thing. But I also hated the whole Colin Kaepernick thing. I felt like everybody handled that wrong. Yeah. Um, because it, it is true that there was something very unifying about sports in this country. And it's sort of like the same thing. If somebody would come onto the field and you know every time they scored a basket, they would, have, they would turn around and be like, and by the way, I'm trans and that's important for you to know. That's how I play my sports as a trans. Like it's like, what are you doing? You're playing basketball right now. Why just play basketball? Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, for some reason, it's like people are not. Or there's this w new world emerging where many people feel like their identity has to be a part of every aspect, and it's not okay. And and it's like if you tell them no, no, it doesn't. You can be a professional now and do that. You're oppressing me. And it's it's well, like weird. So I I think there's an element of that but i also think that this is a opportunity for growing their population if you will you know i mean homosexuals don't recreate you know they have to they have to gain in on their club they have to gain in on numbers and children at that age are highly impressionable so when one day you're a missus and then the next day you're a mx a mix and then the next day you're a mister and you're doing this fluid back and forth, oh, it's how I feel, you know, how I, doing things based upon how I feel, what I feel like doing is a very dangerous um, ideology to go by, you know, I mean, sometimes we might get angry and feel like hurting somebody, should we do it? Absolutely not. Um, well, so, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, maybe okay. you do, but there's going to be some serious consequences that go to it, and these people are saying, there can't be consequences because I feel this way and it's my truth. And their truths are often lies. <laughs> so here's here's one thing, and I mean this might make some people angry, but it's another thing I've learned I've questioned over the past few days. And you being in science a science teacher, you might appreciate this. In any time we classify anything, there's always a set of traits that match those things. You know, if we're mammals we have fur and hair and give live birth you know if 
you're a tree, you have a trunk and wood and et cetera, you know, fish do this, you know, there are characteristics where you can say, this is this because outside of feelings, what kind of brain firing pattern or brain makeup or whatever makes a person feel this way? And the thing is, is I don't think that there is a unifying thing that makes them all the same. I've been looking through the research for the past few days, and I certainly haven't found anything. They haven't published anything. Um, right. It is actually one of the one of my biggest pet peeves, and I, I always respond to these comments on Twitter. So frustrating is when people post things like under any comment by any conservative politician or celebrity. You know, if they'll say something about even you know, J.K. Rowling is all these famous controversies about this. You know, they'll say something like men and women are, are uh, different, you know, and then somebody will post like, you're a science denier because the science is out there. And I actually was curious enough that I went and I, I tried to find these studies. And there are even some that like linked to, you have to pay for them. And so I paid for studies and there, there is no science. And the science, it's all vague uh, insinuations and, and assertions that are not proven and have not been peer reviewed and subjected to the rigors of science. And so, and it's funny because I don't know, I think a lot of people are just duped. They really believe that the science must exist somewhere. Mm -hmm. Well, and there are peer-reviewed articles that do say what they claim. But here's the thing about the peer-reviewed journals is it matters who did the peer review. Who did right. You know, <laughs> if you went and you got the trans board of trans associations and affairs to comment on this, yeah, of course they agreed with you and they were your peers and they had similar degrees and they, they backed you on it. But they're also not a, not a source that's going to really critique you on that. And that's a lot of times what you find is who's backing them in these peer-reviewed journals is, you know, some little niche of a handful of people and it's not an overwhelming consensus. Right. And another thing they don't know is the last semester on top of that science, I took some research classes, which I did really well and did enjoy. So I was equipped for that conversation. It's really frustrating. Um, I, I, I don't want to keep you forever, but there is one more thing I am curious about. Get into this if you don't. If So first of all, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Straight up. Perfect. Um, I never pretend uh, anything other than the fact that my entire worldview has been um, based around the, the Bible. Uh, I'm an Orthodox Jew. Um, and to me, this is, this is, I have this with clarity. So there is one thing I'm curious about because we do take this tack now, which is very politically correct. And um, it's, it's, I feel like we live in this weird world. I'm not the first person to have said this. This isn't something I came up with, but it is something that I, I keep seeing more and more. Like, for, for example, how um, the morality of the world is shifting because people want other things to be focused. So, for example, in a traditional biblical morality, you know, adultery is really bad. You know, rape and murder are among the worst things a person can do. But somehow in America, it's sort of like those things are bad, but like being racist is even worse. And being anti-trans, you know, like, is it really like, is rape really worse than being anti-trans? It's hard to say. So that's, and that's really strange. Um, but there is something I want to, I want to show you. And I'm curious to get your response to this. One of the things that I think is really important is, is in the Bible, there's this verse uh, that says, that's the Hebrew. You shall not copy the practices of the land of Egypt. And what does the Torah mean by that? What does the Bible mean by that? It goes one on to explain. false gods. Well, so that's, that's, one, that's what you would think. But actually, immediately following this, the Bible goes on to list all of the, uh, all of the different types of immorality. It's actually talking about sexuality. Um, I'm going to make myself a little smaller here so we could, you can see this better. Right? It actually says, Ish, ish, call our ship, sorry, sick of you, look out of A man shall not come near anyone of his own flesh to uncover his nakedness. And then it immediately brings in homosexuality and a number of other things. Uh, it says a person should not be homosexual with his father, a person should not sleep with his mother, a person, and, and all these different sexual sins. And um, it's interesting that a lot of the commentators, the traditional commentaries on the Bible, say that the reason for this is. Why is the Torah bringing Egypt? Well, Egypt is an example of a civilization that God said, "This is I'm not going to allow this. This can't continue." And 
rather famously, he wiped them out uh, at the Red Sea. Uh, they rebuilt later, but that civilization was not allowed to continue. And Egypt was very famous for two things. One is the worship of their pagan gods, and the other thing is the immorality. Um, Egypt did not believe in a uh, in a centralized family unit. They didn't believe in that. You know, what, what we believe in is a father, mother, children type of family unit, a nuclear, what we call the nuclear family. The Egyptians did not believe in that. Uh, they rather famously had harems. Um, they were very famously involved in pederasty, right? The, the use of, of uh, boys were for pleasure, women were for children, uh, that type of thing. Um, sexual slavery was extremely common and, and widely practiced. Um, and these types of things, so th there's, like I said, the, the commentators on the Bible, they all sort of note that, or, or not, I shouldn't say they're all in agreement, but mostly in agreement, that what the, the Bible is really trying to say is a civilization like this is against the what human nature is supposed to be striving for. The, the Bible isn't there just for fun. It's there to teach us how to live as moral people, which essentially is a guide to civilization. And I think that one of the problems we have now is that we've sort of, uh, because we're also in this in this weird world, is we sort of take this tack of like, look, I don't care what you do in your private life, um, and there's a certain amount that that is true. You cannot control people. People will sin, and it's very, very important. But the question is, what, what, where does private life end and where does public life begin? And I, I think, for me, this is highlighted by the trans issue, and that's what I wanted to mention. A person says, uh, I, am, uh, I am transgender, and this is how they're living their public life. That, is that really called their private life? You say, well, as long as you don't bring it into the classroom. If you want to go around and live your life as a woman, but you're a man, that's something I don't care about as long as you leave that at the door. I, I sort of wonder if that's really called private life anymore. Um, and that's why, to me, it's sort of like, you know, I can speak for my school. If somebody walked in and said, look, uh, I'm transgender, but don't worry, I won't bring that into the classroom. My, my private school would not touch them with a 10-foot pole. There's no, it's not going to happen. And I, th I think that there, there's something important here that needs to be broken down. Like, is that called private? When a person says, I'm living my life publicly as a transgender person, do we say, well, that's your private business? Um, and, th and it really bothers me. And I'm curious if you think that it is, it is wrong to say, if you want to be a transgender person, I, I don't know that you can, you can teach my kids because there's, there's something inherent to the worldview that I, is, I don't know, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, like I said, I have some trans friends, but here's the thing is you would never know unless they told you because they I actually, I think I would be more okay with that. No, but that, but if I never knew, point, that's my point is the people who don't want to be public attention seekers that really are, you know, either suffer from this thing or just built this way, whichever it is. They want to just go and live normal lives however they're doing it. And that's my point is I'm 100% okay with that. I'm friends with those people, and they're amazing people. Um, I think if they went and got the education to be teachers, they'd be excellent teachers. But when people are so mentally unstable that they feel they need to bring their political and personal beliefs into the classroom, and the question of where does it end? Um, you know, someone was asking me this, and it was a real religious Bible thumping person who was saying this and he was upset that these people hold hands and kiss down the street that that kind of stuff should be left for the bedroom and I said well do you get upset when a man and a woman do it and he said no because that's the way God intended and I said well look while I agree with you on that point you have to be tolerant of other people you know those without sin shall cast the first stones and you don't change your neighbor by hating them you have so to let me ask you a question I don't have a lot I'm not gonna lie I don't have I, I maybe have a, a couple of uh, gay friends. I don't really have any transsexual friends. But the people mm -hmm. that you describe as, let's say, who are who are transsexual, but they're not um, unhealthy. Do they do they dress like? Because I know the couple of gay friends that I have who are, I think, trying to just live normal lives. They don't have the like stereotypical TV trope cliche gay behavior. When you talk to them, mm -hmm. they come off as normal people. Um, Absolutely. Like they're not wearing the rainbow, the rainbow clothes and the funny stuff. 
there's also learned behavior. I think there's different degrees to this behavior. You know, I've had some friends that are guys in their gay and they do the whole exaggerated gay voice and the hand gestures, but they do that knowing that they're over exaggerating. I also have friends who are trans, who are men who dress like women or say that they're women. And I'll be honest, two of them, I didn't even, I was working in a bar and I didn't even know they were men until one day they used their deep voice. I just thought that they were some masculine looking women, <laughs> you know? And so, but then I heard that voice and I was like, there ain't no way. And I asked them and they were like, yeah, we're, we're trans. And I got to know them and they ended up being amazing people. Um, but that's the thing is they never want the attention. You would never question them if they went into the women's bathroom. Um, so, but, but at the same time, you would also never see them outside of their homes, outside of their female, you know, position, their, their dress up. Um, they want to, they want to maintain that image. And even the ones who haven't been able to afford surgery, they get, you know, fake sets of breasts and, you know, the makeup and everything they need, but they don't over-exaggerate the makeup. You know, it's not this drag stuff you see at a bar it's normal women's makeup applied appropriately and so that's that's the other thing too is i think a lot of us especially as conservatives need to start reaching out of our comfort zones we need to start going out and making more of these people our friends you know whether you know if you find that you don't have friends that fit a certain area you need to jump outside of the comfort zone and i'm i the same way i've been doing that the last couple years and my life's only improved and I've learned so much I didn't know from their life stories. Um, but, you know, I think I think that's how we come together. And uh, I'll tell you one big life changing event I had was when Black Lives Matter came to Shreveport. And, oh, I was terrified. I wasn't going to their rally. I thought they were going to burn down our downtown. And it turned out that some wannabe Confederates were the ones to be scared of. And they were harassing women and children. My friends sent me some videos. So me and some other people in our town went down there with some guns and evened up the fight. Um, man, and now I'm going blank on where I was going. You're going to tell me how, how it was different than you expected. Someone someone just knocked on the door and just completely knocked. <laughs> Derailed the train of thought? Oh, no. Yeah, it completely jumped me off. Um, oh, I remember uh, talking about coming outside of our comfort zones. So anyways, by the time this was all said and done, I ended up meeting one of these other guys who brought these guns. And I talked to him and his group of friends who were big in this Black Lives Matter movement. And he actually went internationally viral. Um, Anyways, I found out we were all had the exact same beliefs except about each other. The only place our beliefs differed was what we thought about each other. And it was from false narratives other people had told us. You know, they had told him that I was going to be because I voted for Trump. I was this racist, Nazi, you know, black hating person. And I was told that this dude, some white hating person wants to burn down our city. And we're great friends now, you know, and 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 that that friendship has grown into many other friendships. And so when we do that, I think we find that we all have a lot more in common than we do different. And when you do that, this whole media narrative, like you were talking about, it seems this thing's taking over, you know, our society. It hasn't, but it does seem that way. And it seems that way because of how the the media and people who we listen to are able to control the narrative. But when you go out and you talk to everyday people, you're going to see that that's dying. You know, they're they're on the way out and they're making a big scream as they go. I hope so. I hope. Listen, you know, the one thing I I've always said, I always tell this to my students. I said the one thing Americans need to have in common, I said, is not uh, our religious beliefs. This is a free country and it's not our political beliefs. It's the belief in freedom. I said, as long as we all believe in freedom, that's the unifying feature of an American. So um, as as far as that goes, I'm on board and I hope that's true. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it, it holds true as long as ever we keep growing, we keep sticking together, we stay in contact, and we keep pushing the same message of liberty. You know, that has to be the message, too. Um, you know, while we are religious people, we can talk religion, but we can't preach from an authority that some may not listen to. You know, I think it is important to mention our religion and to tie those seeds in, to plant them, 
but it's also to speak to people's knowledge of common sense and the way the world works of the natural order. And I think that once you tie people into the natural order, the natural law of the way of the world, that God just comes naturally to them. There's no way of denying it. But you have to let people work that out on their own and just plant seeds. You can't, you know, throw it at them. Because I got a lot of people I know that like to throw their religion and it doesn't work. <laughs> that is true. And also those the, those things usually end in a lot of blood and uh, warfare. Yeah. Um, but no matter which set of beliefs you're pushing, when you push too hard, um, so it's honestly, it's one of those things that makes you scared when you see people on, on either side. You know, this is this is something I think a lot of people have realized. Like you say, there are a lot of people who are uh, homosexual, who it's not a religion to them. And they're willing to, you know, they respect freedom. Um, and it's, it's really only the ones who believe that it, that it has to be, I mean, that they won't say it's a religion, but to them it's, it's their ideology and it's their core set of values and beliefs are defined by um, these types of, of behaviors. And that's when it's dangerous, because the same way a fundamentalist without tolerance wants to push his set of religious values uh they want to push theirs and that's where that's where the conflict zones end up hitting each other absolutely it's been it's been a real pleasure talking to you i i enjoyed it thank Thank you you so so much much for having me and uh, maybe we'll we'll get to do this again sometime yeah hit me up anytime it's been a pleasure i love history topics I do also. I think uh, history is is a it is a crime how undertaught. This is a side topic. If you need to go, you can go. But it's just I don't want. I don't. I don't want to get into a whole rant. But um, I have. I I remember vividly once telling my students. Um, this is years ago during the Obama years. This is not a political. I said, uh, in many ways, when you follow the arc of civilizations from ancient times till now, every civilization goes through phases. Um, at the beginning, there's this excitement there's the building everybody's filled with purpose and they're willing to sacrifice because they want you know for we need to build they say you look at rome rome came out of this tiny little country and uh, they unified and they and they went on to conquer so much of the civilized world and you look at greece and you look at persia i said and then what happens is they they finish conquering there's not much conquering left to do we did it uh, and then everybody settles down, and they're and they're they start getting wealthy, and they and they start building these empires, and then all of a sudden you have these massive class divides as the wealthy get wealthier. That's just normal, you know. People and, and people act like this is something that's happening in America. There's this, this is literally something that's happened in every civilization. This isn't special or unique. Um, and then the rich start getting richer, while the poor start getting poorer. And then the government starts giving out handouts. I was like, literally, this happened in Rome. To the T, mm-hmm. you know, and, yep. and it happens in every civilization. It's happened in Germany, and it happened in France, and the government starts giving people stuff for free in order to keep the lower levels happy, while the rich people start building bigger and more advanced power structures. And then uh, you have corruption sets in as the people on top want to be able to take more advantage of their wealth and power. Uh, and then the people on the bottom get more angry. I, I said, like, we are in an arc in our civilization as America. I said, and maybe the only benefit that we have, which is why it's so tragic, is they didn't have the access to history like we do. We can look mm-hmm. at what everyone before us did in an unprecedented way with the Internet and the resources we have and be like, hey, how can we avoid making all their mistakes? Yep. It's like the fact that we're not doing that is, is so painful. <laughs> Well, and the fact that it's taught, I, I don't know about where you live, but where I live, it's taught just so poorly. You know, um, in Louisiana, I think you're taught about Lewis and Clark, the revolution, briefly the Civil War, and you might get into some more modern stuff, but you literally hit them all as talking points. You know, you got a couple multiple choice things over each, but you never you know, go into, you know, why did they go this route over this route or what went into these decisions? What was the outcome? You know, what was their purpose? You know, when I first learned about Lewis and Clark, it just sounded like two teenage dudes who decided they were going to hop on a raft and float the Mississippi. And that's what they did. And then I got up to college and I go, Oh, this was actually an intricate like exploration. Like they had tons and tons of people on this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you learn the actual cool details and you go, man, there's cool lessons in a lot of this. And like you said, you know, what's happening to us has happened to Rome and countless other civilizations throughout history. And, and th- some of these homosexual things have even happened throughout history. 
And I hope yeah. it doesn't turn out the same way it does for him. But, you know, yeah. it's so far. It's like it, one of the things I remember had a big impact on me growing up, um, not just because I'm Jewish, but because it was so interesting. There has nothing has had as much of an effect on world history as the um, the genesis of, of monotheism. I'm using the word genesis, not in the biblical sense. Like monotheism and the ideas that developed from it were a cataclysmic change. You know, from that came forth Christianity um, and, and largely a lot of the social ideas that we have of how people should live in a civilization, right? Like I said, if you look back at it, it's fascinating. I, you know, Dennis Prager makes this point very well, actually, but um, I, you know, I, even before him, this was something I was aware of. If you look at ancient civilizations, no one before monotheism believed in a nuclear family. No one. You know, the, the monotheism only came into the world about 2,000 years uh, after civilization. But, you know, by any standard, whether you believe in the Bible or not, the first signs of civilization archaeologically are around 5,500 years ago. It just happens to coincide with what the Bible says when the world was created. That's just a coincidence. Don't pay any attention to that. Um, but... Uh, even so, so around 2,000 years later, monotheism bursts onto the scene. So you have, America seems like it's been here forever, right? People are like, oh, wow, look at all these ideas. This is how I grew up. Isn't this how the world always was? No, America's like 200-something years old. We're, we're babies, right? So 2,000 years, that's a long time. And in 2,000 years, no one ever came up with these new ideas. Everybody was like, no, there's no such thing as a nuclear family. Slavery is totally fine. You know, uh, corrupt the corruption of, of, of the judges at the highest level was the norm. The rulers rule in accordance with their whims. And monotheism was this cataclysmic change to the whole challenge to the entire belief system of the world. And you know how many pages it is? And what was, what was in my history book in high school? It was half a page. Yeah, there was like, say, yeah. It was like Phoenicia. There was like, the, literally the page was Phoenicia, which had new ideas about trading. That's really important. And monotheism. And the title of the, of the page was Ideas on the Move. Phoenicia and the, nascent, uh, the, the budding nation of Israel had new ideas about how people should live. Phoenicia had new ideas about trade and the Jews had ideas about monotheism. And then there was like a little graphic on the side about the Ten Commandments. And that was it. Like that's not really so important. And it's like, this is literally the most important thing that ever happened in ancient history. Is a cataclysmic, mm -hmm. cataclysmic event that changed all of society forever, you know. And even even Christianity, which you know, arguably you say, ah, oh, well, Judaism is a minor religion in a, in a global sense. I don't remember Christianity getting that many pages either in my history book. I think there was much more on Egypt, ancient Egypt, which is not mm -hmm. relevant to us at all. <laughs> well, and if they do talk about Judaism or Christianity, they'll usually also counter it with a "but this." You right. know, this is what they say, and this is what they think. But this is why it could never happen. My earth science class, it did not want you believing in creationism. It didn't matter if you first opened the book or were at the very end reading about a cuttlefish. They were going to remind you why creationism wasn't real. Right. And all I say to them is, you know, even atheists believe in creationism because all creationism says is that something more powerful and unknown than us created this. And what created the earth? You say a big bang and some pool of some stuff. That's cool, but what created that? What made those forces go together? And whatever that force is, there's your God. <laughs> right. Like it's very, it's very, years, years ago, I remember seeing even an interview somewhere. I looked, I looked for it, but this is like going back to when I was in high school and I, you know, before the internet and I could never find it. Years ago, I remember seeing a scientist talking about how evolution has basically been disproven and how they still teach it in schools, and it's so accepted to the extent that, you know, even now, you know, just recently, Herschel Walker, who's a politician who's running for governor or mayor or something, um, and he was mentioning how he doesn't believe in evolution, and he was roundly mocked for it. But you can, there's a book, uh, I, I always try and promote this book because I, I love it. It had such an impact on me. I, I didn't need it, but it was just, it's so good to see from a science perspective. Uh, Lee Spetner, who's a PhD uh, spent 20 years researching evolution. And I think he wrote the most definitive book on it where he said that, you know, when he started writing this book and researching it, all he wanted to do was understand evolution. And at the end, he said it was extremely clear that evolution is absolutely impossible the way we understand it. Like the idea, and he showed, and he, it's a very scientific book. Uh, it's called uh, 
not by chance, shattering the myth of evolution. Um, and he's a PhD, and it's very heavy. And like there are times that he shows like at the micro level DNA and how it works and how it's formed and how the differences between DNA and different species. Uh, species, I'm sorry, and, and lower life forms and higher life, they could not actually have evolved. There's, there's simply no crossing over. And, and yet, even today, it's like such a part of the zeitgeist, it's such a part of the American psyche, that like people will just lose respect. Oh, you don't believe in evolution? Oh, wow, you're just like a loser. So It's, it's not true. Remember <laughs> how I told you about how we win, though, is yeah. you have to appeal to the authorities they know. So even, let's say you don't believe in evolution, and I, to be honest, I'm not enough of a science guy to have a theory one way or the other. It sound, Evolution sounds good to me, but creationism also, I think the two coexist. So what I do is I synthesize the two of them. I say, absolutely, I believe in evolution. We evolve in our lifetime. A few years ago, you know, I was this tall. I was a foot tall. <laughs> Here I am. I'm six feet tall. Of course I evolved. And so, yeah, of course, I'm, not, I'm no science denier. But are you going to deny that something more powerful than us didn't create the world? You're sounding like the science denier now right. to me, you know. And so, and so take take their little jab and hit them with a hook. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. But I do recommend seriously if you ever want to read an interesting book on the topic, somebody who really thoroughly goes through it. I can't recommend that book enough. But um, I, but yes, well, you're right. Do me a favor and send that to me in a text or a message because I, I will forget on my drive. I will. Thank you very much for this conversation. Yes, sir. Uh, like Thank I said you. before, you stayed extra, and I appreciate it. It's really been a pleasure. Anytime. Likewise. <laughs> Bye-bye. Oh, that was really fun and enjoyable. I hope you guys enjoy watching this as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. And that's all.